Welcome to Tribe Talk's exclusive podcast series in which we talk over multiple episodes with Dr. Daniel Gordis about the heart and soul of Israel as expressed through its history, culture, diverse and vibrant populations, and its innovations. Each 20-minute episode provides a deep understanding of Israel's complexities from the birth of Zionism to the present day. Dr. Gordis, Senior Vice President and Koret Distinguished Fellow at Shalem College in Israel, is the author of more than 10 books and is a widely read columnist in Israel and American media. TribeTalk.org is an information and resource hub for Jewish young adults. It's uniquely designed to give students the tools they need to wisely choose colleges and to address anti-Semitism and feel empowered in their Jewish identity from before they go off to college and through their college years and beyond. And now, Dr. Gordis. We talked about how Israel was created after the United Nations vote on November 29, 1947, the outbreak of the War of Independence beginning on May 14, 1948, when David Ben-Gurion declared independence and read the Declaration of Independence from Tel Aviv. But there's one very important issue about the War of Independence that we did not get to talk about last time, and that's the painful, controversial, very difficult issue of what happened to the Arabs that were inside the land of Israel during the war? Where did they end up after the war? How did that happen? And where does that leave us today as we think about that very tragic issue? Uh, As many people know, some 700,000 Palestinian Arabs by the end of the war are not in Israel anymore. Some of them are in Gaza. Some of them are in what's now called the West Bank. Hundreds of thousands make their way to Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. Now, why did they leave? There are very, very conflicting arguments about that, and they're all, all of the views are sort of true. They left in part because they were afraid. They heard that the Jews were winning the war. They saw their own Arab leadership, like from Haifa, which was a very heavily Arab city, fleeing, thinking that they would come back, of course, when the war was over. But they saw their leadership fleeing, and they got very frightened. They were also frightened by word of Jewish atrocities. There was an attack on the Arab village of Deir Yassin, uh, in which Irgun and Lehi people ended up killing about 100 members, uh, 100 people in that Arab village. What happened there is very much uh, shrouded in controversy. We'll perhaps at another time do a segment only about that. Uh, But it's not clear exactly what happened there. A a modern Israeli historian, Eliezer Tauber, has argued that of about the 100 Arabs who were killed, 92 approximately were combatants or in the immediate surrounding area of combatants and were killed in the war. And very, very few innocent civilians were actually killed outright. But again, it's a very controversial thing. But the rumors that spread from Dir Yassin, which were exaggerated by everybody, were that the Jews had killed hundreds of Arabs and that there had been rapes and that eyes had been gouged out and that bodies had been mutilated and so forth. That was not true. Hundreds of people were not killed. There were no rapes. There were no mutilations. Ironically, of course, everybody had a vested interest in exaggerating. The local Arabs had a vested interest in exaggerating what happened because they wanted the international community to support them. The Haganah had a vested interest in exaggerating what had happened because they wanted to make the Irgun look terrible. The Irgun had a vested interest in exaggerating what had happened because they actually did want the local Palestinian Arab, call it what you will, population to be frightened because they did want them eventually to leave. Why did they want them to leave? 
They wanted them to leave because the Jewish population of this whole area at that time is about 630,000. And there were more than a million Arabs in the area at that time. In other words, the Jews were still a, a minority of those two states now put together, the Arab state and the Jewish state combined together, the Jews were still a minority. Once the war breaks out, Ben-Gurion understands that the Jewish state can't survive if the Jews are going to remain a minority. And given the fact that the two-state idea has now been rejected by the Arabs and there's this civil war and then a war of independence was going on, he knows that the idea of establishing an Arab state at that point is hopeless. There's no way that it's going to happen. The Arabs themselves have rejected it. It's all or nothing. And at that point, unfortunately, the, the Yeshuv first and then this very, very young Israel has to decide, are we going to survive or are we going to get destroyed? And if we are not going to be a majority of the people here, we're not going to survive or we're going to have to be a minority ruling a majority, which would be a disaster like in South Africa and so forth. And so everybody has a vested interest on the Jewish side in projecting this image of great hostility. And it does leave hundreds of thousands, 700,000 Arabs to leave this area in the course of the war. In one of the most cynical elements of the war, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan will for the most part not make any of these Arab refugees citizens of their countries to this day. They want them to be stateless. They want them to be in a national way homeless, not to have a passport, not to have citizenship, because they want them to be pawns in this very painful international game of what goes on, so to speak. But it's a game which is not funny in any way because, of course, hundreds of thousands of lives are held in abeyance by this. Now, when I deal or speak to or listen to or in conversation with American audiences about the problem of the Palestinian refugees, I typically hear one of two views. One view is, well, you know what? They started the war, they had an option to have a state in 1947, they turned it down, and they started a war, that's what happens in war, and it's really not my problem. I find that view very problematic for reasons that I'll explain in a minute. And the other view that I hear is on the other side of the political spectrum, which is, Israel is created in an act of mass human transfer, therefore Israel is by definition a country born in sin, and it's a country that I can't support, it's a country that I can't feel loyalty to, it's a country for which I can feel only shame. Uh, and I find that argument also very problematic, because the reality is, is that political and military events are usually much more complicated. To the people who say it's all their fault and what do I care, I would say it's 700,000 human beings. Not all of those 700,000 human beings rejected it, their leadership rejected it. And regardless of whose fault it is, and even if it's true that they turned down Peel in 37, and it's true that they turned down the partition plan in 47, and it's true that they started the war, all of that is true. But we ought to, at least as Jewish human beings, it seems to me, have some real pathos for the tragedy of the Palestinian experience in 1947, 48, and 49. And when they call it a Nakba, a catastrophe, I can understand that. It really was a catastrophe. It was a catastrophe in many respects that they themselves created, but it is still a human catastrophe. And I think it behooves all of us who are Jewish and Zionists to have a place in our heart where we can feel for the horror of what happened 
to the local Arab population of Palestine slash Israel in those early years of the war. By the same token, I would say, lots of other countries are born in very, very complicated circumstances. We all know that slavery predates the United States Declaration of Independence by 100 of 175 years. We talked in a previous segment about how a million Europeans came to North America and they imported, stole, whatever word you want to use, 2.5 million, 2.5x slaves who had been taken from Africa and you, God knows how many others died or were killed in Africa or died on the way. When the Native Americans get the right to vote in America, in 1948, the Supreme Court rules. The United States is established in 1776 and it's in 1948, ironically the same year that Israel's created, that the Supreme Court rules that Native Americans can actually vote in American elections, and the last state to comply, complies in 1962. Now that's a horror, but how many of us who are Americans say that because that's the way in which America is born, America is born in sin, I feel nothing but shame for America, I'm done, I'm finished, I'm not an American, I'm not a loyal patriot or anything of the sort. Most of us don't say that. Most of us say that our heart breaks when we think about how America was created, and what we want to do as Americans is roll up our sleeves and try to make America better. That's how I, as an Israeli, look back on this very painful part of Israel's history. I understand that the Arabs turned down two states in 37. I know they turned it down and again in 47. And I do know that they started the war that becomes Israel's war of independence. But as a Jew, my heart breaks for what happened to them. And at the same time, because of boats like the Struma and others where the Jews had nowhere else to go because America's shores are still sealed and so on and so forth, the Jews needed a state. The Jews needed a place where they would determine their own future, where they would shape their own destiny. And the only way to have that was in this war to make sure that the Jews were gonna become a majority of what becomes Israel. It is a very painful chapter in Israel. And what I, as a, as a Zionist, and what I, as an Israeli, and what I, as a Jew, choose to feel about that period is simply heartbreak. Heartbreak for them, heartbreak for us. What I'm not willing to do, though, is to say that because that's how Israel was created, uh, that Israel should simply go out of business, which, of course, many people say these days. One could look in the very painful, agonizing origins of many countries in the world. 16 million people were moved in the creation of India and Pakistan to move Muslims and Hindus out of each other's way. 16 million people were moved. Does anybody say that India should go out of business or that Pakistan should go out of business, that America should go out of business? There's really only one country in the world that anybody talks about whether or not it has a right to exist and that's Israel. I prefer heartbreak to acknowledge simply how painful and complicated it was and to ask myself as an Israeli and as a Jew, where do we move from here forward to make Israel the best, most moral, most Jewish country that it can possibly be? Thank you for joining us. We encourage you to listen to the next podcast in this series with Dr. Gordis and remind you to visit our website, tribetalk.org, for more resources.